Creative, expertise, technology, patents, and people. Intellectual property is the core of business today. Protecting it is a priority. From a single innovation to large corporate IP issues, we're talking about it here on IP Council. Join IP Council host and attorney Peter Lando, partner of Lando and Anastasi, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome. Welcome to IP Council on the Legal Talk Network. We're so glad you can join us and listen today to our debut podcast. I'm Peter Lando, partner with the Cambridge, Massachusetts intellectual property law firm, Lando and Anastasi. Our practice includes patents, trademarks, copyrights, litigation, transactions, and strategic counseling. And you can learn more about the firm at LALaw.com. On today's show, we'll take a look at a current issue in patent law, namely patentability. What constitutes patentable subject matter? This is perhaps the most fundamental issue in patent law. On June 28th, the Supreme Court issued its long-awaited decision in Bilski v. Kapos regarding the patentability of business methods. But did that settle the issue? Joining me today is my guest, Gary Ganzi, Vice President of Intellectual Property for Siemens Water Technologies Corporation, a subsidiary of Siemens AG and a worldwide leader in technology development, products, and services for the treatment of water and wastewater used in municipalities and in industry. In addition to his expertise in the law, Gary is a highly respected inventor of over 25 U.S. patents. He is also co-chair of the Patent Office Practice Committee of the Intellectual Property Owners Association and had been a board member for over five years. Welcome to IP Council, Gary. Thank you very much, Peter. Uh, let me first start by saying that uh, the thoughts that I present today are my own and do not represent those of Siemens or intellectual property owners. Understood. Gary, as you know, the U.S. Patent Statute sets out four areas of patentable subject matter, Section 101 in particular. Whoever invents or discovers any new and useful, one, process, two, machine, three, manufacture, or four, composition of matter, or any new and useful improvement thereof, may obtain a patent therefore. So, Gary, given this uh, language in the statute, doesn't it make it clear as to what patentable subject matter is? Well, one would think that that's pretty clear, but in actuality, when it comes to new inventions, it's often right on the edge of technology. And for that reason, uh, oftentimes it's not clear. For example, uh, one might think that uh, a manufacturer is a pretty clear statement. And yet, most recently in Henry Nuchen, uh it was held that a signal may or may not be a, a, a manufacturer. Uh, and uh, and in fact, it was held that a signal is not a manufacturer, even though it was. It is a physical transformation of matter and energy. Uh, signals were not declared to be a, a manufacturer. Uh, from that perspective, the word process is even more unclear, and that's what the most recent case in Bilski has uh, has elucidated to some extent. Right. Okay. Well, we'll get into that. So, uh, the Supreme Court, Supreme Courts uh, visited the issue of patentable subject matter over the years. And what, what, if any, exceptions have they come up with? Well, uh, the Supreme Court has actually studied this problem for more than 150 years. Uh, wow. This is not a recent 
a recent issue. Uh, inventors have been coming up with things that have been on the on the edge of patentability for many, many years, for centuries. Uh, and uh, one of the things that the Supreme Court has done is answered that question in the negative, basically saying that certain things are not patent eligible, rather than explaining what is patent eligible. And and what areas are those in? And what the what the court has uh, has come up with really is that abstract ideas, natural phenomena, laws of nature, or processes that, as claimed, are really just mental steps or mathematical algorithms, those should be free for all to use, and really therefore not uh, applicable for exclusive rights for individuals or inventors, even if those inventors have actually been the first to discover those those particular phenomena or mathematical equations. I see. So so when the uh, advent of new technology, um, well, the new technology is coming around uh, uh, daily, uh, signals or business methods or softwares or what have you, uh, these things uh, run run afoul of where the Supreme Court has held uh, what, what might be an exception to patentable subject matter? Right. For example, uh, many of the most recent computer-aided algorithms or improvements are really on the edge of being either an abstract idea or a mathematical algorithm or alternately an invention. And of course, uh, patent uh, drafters are going to always push to the limit of what the law would provide in terms of providing exclusive rights. And so there will always be some controversy as to what the, what the boundary line is between, say, an abstract idea and a pat- and patentable subject matter. I see. Well, having drafted a few patent applications of, uh, of my own, and I, I know uh, you have as well, uh, I understand certainly pushing the, pushing the envelope. Um, let, let's talk briefly about Bilski and um, h- how it got to uh, the Supreme Court. And I understand the Federal Circuit um, constructed a, um, um, in, in its decision, uh, a machine or transformation test. How did the CAFC develop that test? Well, that's kind of interesting because the the, uh, the machine or transformation test that's been promulgated by the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit uh, really had its its background in some very early case Supreme Court cases, which discussed that certainly uh, an invention is patent eligible if it's tied to a particular machine or apparatus or transforms an article to a different state or thing. There, what the Court of Appeals tried to do is transform what is not patentable, which the Supreme Court has been been working in that direction, to one where uh, the Federal Circuit is an aid to the public, uh, tried to explain what was patentable. Mm -hmm. And uh, and really, uh, it came to a head in Bilski, uh, where uh, Bilski was uh, patenting what's known as a, a business method patent. In other words, uh, he was patenting an invention that really could only be used by, by use of a computer uh, to uh, to perform a form of business, which was in this case uh, a hedging process uh, to minimize uh, loss profit losses. Uh, and what the uh, Supreme Court held was that that was a an abstract idea uh, and. Uh, and in this particular case, uh, said that uh, although the machine or transformation test would have also determined this 
this uh, patent claim to be ineligible for patenting because it was not necessarily tied to a particular machine or apparatus, that that was not the whole answer, that there could potentially be inventions that even though not tied to a machine or apparatus or not transforming an article, could still be patentable. And so cast doubt into the, as, in, as to the machine or transformation test being the only test for patent eligibility. But Gary, wasn't the machine or transformation test by the CAFC a positive thing in that it, it provided a positive test to provide certainty to the marketplace, inventors, investors, companies, uh, courts? Absolutely. I think it, it is definitely something that really needs needs to be uh, needs to happen. For example, uh, just what happens in the patent office uh, if an examiner, if, if if an inventor provides a claim, and the examiner says no, that's claiming an abstract idea. Then what does the applicant do? The applicant has to say something positive and saying no, it's not an abstract idea. It needs some guidance from that standpoint, to convince the examiner that, in fact, it is of, uh, not something that's prescribed by the Supreme Court precedent. Uh, the problem with the machine or transformation test is it's not, not only not all-inclusive and doesn't encompass all inventions that are not abstract ideas, but it can, in certain circumstances, include abstract ideas, as, as physical as that definition sounds, and, and let, me, let me provide you with an example. Uh, there was a very famous Supreme Court case, Gottschalk v. Benson, which was a digital computer patent where uh, what was uh, sought to be patented was an, a mathematical algorithm that changed uh, uh, decimal code to binary. And using shift registers and devices and hardware within the digital computer, the Supreme Court said that that was not patent eligible. And the reason was that the, really the only way that could that algorithm could be used was in a digital computer. And therefore, that abstract idea, that mathematical algorithm, was basically precluded in all uses, all known uses, because it was only useful in a digital computer. And the Supreme Court declared that invalid. That would have passed machine in most cases, the machine or transformation test because it was tied to a particular machine, a digital computer. Mm -hmm. So not only in certain cases is that too broad, in other cases it's a little unclear. What exactly is being tied to a particular machine? Is it tied to a particular machine if it if it's tied to a general purpose computer? Or is it does it need to be a particular computer? Uh, it is uh, is something uh, transformed uh, by uh, by, for example, passing a shock wave through a, through a uh, through a physical article. Is that is that a transformation? Is the mixing of components a transformation? Is the separation of components a, a transformation? What exactly is being transformed? I, uh, one example is a 1932 Supreme Court case, Smith v. Snow, where a process was, uh, was sought to be patented for incubating eggs, where the uh, incubator uh, adjusted baffles and air flows and temperatures in a certain way to improve the incubation of eggs into chickens. 
That sounds patentable to uh, me. That sounds patentable. But the question came up was, uh, was, the, was the process that was thought to be patentable uh, just a, a, a natural law of air flow and temperature changes, or was it really tied to a particular incubator? In that case, the Supreme Court actually said that it was patentable, even though it was not being tied to a particular device or baffle system where the airflow only was claimed. Yet that was still patentable because it explained the function of the unit. Uh, in that case, the machine or transformation test, knowing the Supreme Court said it's not tied to a machine, would have to decide, well, there must have been a transformation. Uh. <laughs> so the question is, what was the transformation? Was uh, it the egg the being egg transformed? Was sure. it the chicken? Was it the chicken or the egg? <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and so uh, there's a real question as to one of the flaws, I think, in the machine or transformation test is that the transformation requires one to find out exactly what is being transformed. In a more recent case, uh, for example, in a diagnostic method where... Uh, where uh, Let me hold you there, Gary, because oh, we'll get into diagnostic sure. methods. We, we need to take a short break when we return more with Gary Ganzi. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Welcome back to IP Council. Today we're joined with Gary Ganzi, uh, Vice President of Intellectual Property for Siemens Water Technologies. Gary, when we left off, we were starting to talk about the uh, machine or transformation test, and perhaps it's uh, uh, not so appropriate for all sorts of inventions. And we were just about uh, to talk about uh, diagnostic and uh, treatment method claims. Well, just as an example, there, there are a number of diagnostic methods where the machine or transformation test really becomes a little ambiguous. Uh, for example, let's just take a claim that says, uh, I, I assay a particular biological material within a, a sample, uh, say a blood sample or a tissue sample. I correlate that to some sort of normal level, and then I diagnose an illness based on that correlation. What exactly is being transformed? Uh, there, the assay could be any assay. The correlation may be considered an abstract idea, and yet. I think everybody believes that such types of correlations and assays are crucially important for the biotech industry and the pharmaceutical industry and investment in this in this field and really should be patentable. Uh, there, uh, in some cases, uh, the court has said that uh, the transformation actually occurs in the human body. And, and I think that brings up other issues with respect to, uh, you know, do we want to move toward transformation of humans or transformation of disease states? These ethical issues. And, and, and brings up ethical issues. And sure. I'm not sure it really needs to happen that way. I think there are alternate ways to describe what is patentable that doesn't get us into those kinds of questions. Yeah. Well, I can, I can speak uh, as a practitioner. I think we just want to know, I get back to certainty, we just want to know the rules of the game and uh, we'll stay within those and we'll get close as we do and be corrected from time to time by the courts. But uh, let me ask you some more questions. I know, I know you're active um, on the uh, Intellectual Property Owners Association in, um, in commenting on the – on reviewing and commenting on the United States Patent and Trademark Office guidelines that were promulgated 
uh, promulgated uh, post Bilski decisions, Supreme Court's Bilski decision. Can you share some of that, at least as uh, your own um, uh, your own comments with regard to both the Patent Office um, guidelines and and uh, comments that might be offered? Sure, I, I can't speak for IPO, but I can provide you my own thoughts. I think that the the uh, the Patent Office has uh, done a, a laudable job in providing its suggested guidelines for comments, and uh, and has it definitely is on the right track with uh, providing a kind of a mechanism for uh, applying and, and obtaining patents that that basically use a weighted type factor determination of what would be considered potentially an abstract idea and providing a reasoned response. Uh, I certainly applaud the Patent Office in, in, in moving in that direction and think it's a, it's a much more balanced way to determine an abstract idea. The, the real question then is once a patent examiner determines that there is an abstract idea involved or, f- or at least concludes in his or her own mind that there's an abstract idea, how does the patent applicant disagree with that. And that's where we come into the positive test. I think there are better ways to define that, at least in my own view. I I think if we look at uh, the present state of the law, perhaps a better way to look instead of a machine or transformation test is whether or not a claim process, if it claims as a whole an act directed upon through or to form a physical article, is probably a better way to deal with it. And, and, and I say that because an act doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to be tied, but it just needs to be directed upon some sort of a physical article. And, uh, and, and, and therefore uh, avoids the need to look at what the end result is. Uh, the end result can be dealt with elsewhere. If, if a process has no end result, then it doesn't meet the usefulness prong of the patent of section, section. and, and therefore other doesn't need to be addressed separately as as in this patent eligibility question. Right, I, and I think I think there is a great confusion out there about uh, perhaps some other sections of the patent statute could address these things. A lot of these uh, patent uh, business methods perhaps are obvious, uh, which other sections, as you referred to in the um, absolutely. patent statute, deal with. I, absolutely, I think, for example, going back to that Gottschalk v. Benson claim, rather than saying that that claim was patent ineligible because it it basically precluded all uses of of an abstract mathematical algorithm, one could have said that since it did act, that process did act upon uh, a physical article, namely a a digital computer, that it would have been patent eligible. But then, of course, that patent claim would have been obvious and would have been would have been uh, declared ineligible due to obviousness because the only tangible uh, portion of that patent claim was a, a shift register to digital computer, which was already well known. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it could have been dealt with not kind of with this blunt instrument of patent eligibility, but could have passed the patent eligibility and then been declared ineligible for patenting based on obviousness. Or, or some other section of I think the that uh, would be, statute, yeah, as you or, suggest. Or novelty or, Usefulness uh, and what or, have you. or uh, particularity. Right, right. Okay. Well, um, is there, is there uh, 
Any prediction about what the uh, patent office will come up with as far as guidelines? My view is that, uh, that as I said, they're on the right track. I, I think that what we'll be seeing is kind of a, uh, a series of factors that will be weighed by patent examiners. And based on the, the uh, view of, of looking at multiple factors, we'll come up with some sort of uh, a conclusion as to uh, patentability. It's then up to the applicant to uh, traverse that. And that's, that's where it will get exciting. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to have to leave it there for now. This is certainly an interesting topic, and we can go on and on as, as we have over the years, Gary. Uh, remember, you can find out uh, more about all our shows on the LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also subscribe to this program through iTunes. And a very special thanks to my guest, Gary Ganzi, for joining me today. Gary, if, if someone wants more information on this topic, how can they reach you or learn more about the topic, perhaps through IPO? Is there a, a, a website? or uh, One can look through uh, at the IPO website to get more information about this. Of course, the U.S. Patent Office has, has a wonderful site that provides this kind of information and provides all the public notices and announcements. That's at IPO.org and USPTO.gov. Okay, and you can contact me, of course, at uh, LALaw.com. Join us next time for another episode of IP Council, and have a great day, everyone. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening today. Join us again on the next edition of IP Council, Talking Law and IP, right here on the Legal Talk Network.